Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Today we're starting uh, this new series uh, in the book of Jonah. We're going to look today at chapter 1. And Jonah is one of the minor prophets. Uh, You have these major prophets, and a lot of that's divided up by how long the letters are, the books are. And Jonah is a minor prophet. And if you read through the entire, um, you know, uh, the book, uh, you'll find yourself maybe somewhat frustrated Even from what you just heard read, my guess is there's already a sense of frustration of this person who is just, you know, completely determined to get away from God and to get away from what um, God was asking him to do. Uh, My guess is also that most of us have heard about this story um, if you haven't heard the entire story of the, the book of Jonah, you, you've most likely heard the story or the part of a man being swallowed by a whale. And so what we want to do in this series, we'll just take it chapter by chapter very slowly and read through it, uh, look at it. But also I want to give us some background information um, as it pertains to each chapter. But my goal in this series is not to you know, only study it, um, you know, which is obvious. We want to study it, you know, we want to study the text, we want to understand what it means. But my goal is to go beyond that. 
And, and I'm hoping that you're going to gain some information. I'm hoping that you're going to, you know, understand different parts of this letter better. But at the same time, I hope that, you know, our hearts would be changed. My cognitively is not the main focus of this study. We don't want to only understand with our minds. I want us to also experience this book with our hearts, with our soul. So let me ask you just a lot of questions in this series. Allow me to do that. Allow me to ask you a lot of seri- uh, questions today. But my thinking would be this, and this is what I tend to do, is that as we listen to chapter 1 being read to us, my guess is most of us listened as a third person. We separated ourselves. We listened to the details. We analyzed what had been done. We, we may have even brought our own ethics and we brought our own morals to the story. And, and we're horrified at what this man did. We can't believe that he would run from God. But most likely we listened to the story as a third person. After all, this is Jonah. Jonah did these things. We would never do those kind of things. This is what Jonah did. And so we tend to to read it with this mindset that, well, this is about Jonah and Jonah only. And what I want us to do today is shift ourselves a little bit. What if we would become the character in the story? What if we would place ourselves there? What if we were Jonah? What if we were one of the sailors? What if we... We're one of the citizens of Nineveh, knowing that we need this truth, but someone refuses to bring it to us. What if we would change and we would put ourselves into the story? See, in reality, we've all been one of these three characters. We've all been, you know, a Jonah at one time. There's been moments in my life, at least, and, and I will be the first to admit it, where I have disobeyed God. I'm not, not at all proud of that, but I just know that that's true, that there are times where I have deliberately gone against the will of God. I know that there have been moments in my life where I've been frustrated or even angry at God asking me to do something that I just do not want to do. It's easy for me. It's easy for me to put myself into this story as the character of Jonah. So let's be honest with ourselves for a moment. I think the reason that this story sometimes bothers Christians or makes Christians so uncomfortable is because we can so easily see ourselves as the character Jonah. So in a little bit, we're going to walk through some of the verses, and they were just read to us. We're not going to take time to read all of it. But before we do that, let me give you just a little bit of background information because I think it's going to help you understand this man a little bit better. The prophet Jonah first appears to us in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. We'll look at this verse later in the series and later today in the sermon, but um, let's Just so you know that. If you want to, you can already turn there um, just for reference. But from what we know, um, he was already active during the first half of the 8th century BC. We do not know when the book was written, but it's pretty obvious that this book was written after the fact. Jonah, as you heard in in the reading, was called to go preach to the city of Nineveh. This city was the capital of the Assyrians. 
And the Ninevites were characterized as wicked people. They were a cruel and warlike people who were lifelong enemies of God. A look at Syrian artwork emphasizes their passion for war. Much of their artwork depicted executions, impalings, flaying the skin off of prisoners, in beheadings. Now imagine being out for dinner at a restaurant and that's the kind of artwork that is hanging on the wall. You're out for a romantic evening with your spouse and, and there are images of prisoners being tortured. That was the Assyrian artwork. That was what they did. This was who these people were. This could explain then why Jonah was so reluctant to go to the city to preach a message of repentance to these very enemies of him. God also plays a major role in the story. And this may have frustrated Jonah. He knows that Yahweh, God, is going to be who God is. And, and he knows that if he should go and preach the message of repentance to the people of Nineveh, and if they should repent, Yahweh is compassionate. And therefore, these very enemies of Israel would receive compassion from God. Why would a prophet go to the very people who have been his lifelong enemies to bring them a message of a God who would have compassion on them if they should receive the message? You see very quickly the conflict that must have been raging in Jonah's mind. So Jonah finds it impossible, impossible to preach a message of repentance to those he sees as enemies of his people, the Israelites. He would rather die. He would rather die than for mercy to be shown to the Assyrians. But what is interesting if you have your Bibles to open to 2 Kings chapter 14 verse 25. What is interesting is that he has no issue with proclaiming prosperity to the kingdom of Israel who have not repented. The Israelites during this time were far from God. They were living far from God. They were hardly obedient to the message of God. And yet Jonah had no issue with proclaiming prosperity upon his own people, even though they had not repented. But oh my goodness, he would not present the message of repentance to the Assyrians, even though he knew they needed to hear it. So one might say, it wasn't the wickedness as a whole that bothered Jonah, but rather by whom the wickedness was done. And boy, if that doesn't land on you or on me somewhere, that's an important statement. It wasn't so much the wickedness that was done, because Jonah seems to be okay with wickedness. What really bothered him was who was doing the deed. When it comes to the book of Jonah, there's a lot of debate around different things, but one of the things that's debated is genre. What is the genre of this book? 
Now let's first clarify, what do we mean by genre? My professor, Dr. William Webb, defines it this way. He says, it is a classification of certain types of literature based on shared characteristics or trait. There is so much that one can say on the topic of genre, and we won't take time to discuss it, but it's important for us to understand the genre of a book and when we're reading it. Genre plays an important role in doing hermeneutics, in studying God's Word. Similar to rules in a game, genre provides us with how we should approach a certain text. We should not read the Psalms the same as we would read the Gospels. Or we don't read narrative the same as doctrine. Much could be said, but let's go back to the story of Jonah. What is the genre of the book of Jonah? So just so you know, I'll throw this out now, that chapter 2 is kind of on its own. It's a, it's a genre of its own, and we'll look at that next week. But the rest of the book, the other three chapters, what is the genre of those three chapters? Now, some people believe, I'll just talk about two today. There's quite a few, but we'll just focus on two. Some believe that one of the genres is a parable. They would say that genre, you know, that Jonah, the book of Jonah is, is a parable. Let's, so let's start with that argument. Those who argue that it's a parable would say that it's fictional story. It is made up to convey a theological point about God's attitude towards Gentile people. It's, it's a story. It's, it's, it's a fantasy story in a way of showing, you know, God loving Gentiles. And so he wants, you know, he wants Jonah to go and tell these people because he wants us to understand that he loves Gentile people. These same individuals would also argue that it is so clear from the proponents of the story, the fantasy-like you know, details of Jonah being swallowed by a whale, being in a whale for three days and three nights, they would say this is obviously the author's way of letting us know clearly this did not really happen. There are also a number of historical difficulties when we deal with the letter of, or the book of Jonah. One of those is the size of Nineveh, described as described in Jonah chapter 3, verse 3. It is difficult to prove that the city was that large, and so it sounds like what Jonah says in the letter is greatly exaggerated. The other historical difficulty is the fact that there is no evidence in the Assyrian history of a mass conversion or repentance. And so when you look into the history of the Assyrians, they never write about how the entire city of Nineveh repented. So some see this as proof that the book of Jonah is a parable, and it should be read then as a parable, in the same way that the stories, that the parables that Jesus tells are to be read and understood, that there's a message behind them, but they are not actual fact. So that's the genre of parable that some people want to apply to the book of Jonah. What about history? That's the other one we want to look at. There are at least four clear indications that Jonah fits the, the history genre. First, we know that Jonah was a biblical character. We have already mentioned 2 King, Kings passage a few times, so let me read it to us. 
verse 25, chapter 14, verse 25. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant, and here it is, Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hefer. So if this book, if the story of Jonah, if you know the book of Jonah is fiction, then it would be considered slander. After all, we have this real person named Jonah. And so if this was a made-up story, why would they use the name of a real prophet? Why not make up a name? So that's one argument for why it is historically true. Second, Jonah is a collection of minor prophets. And they all convey prophecy by genuine historical prophets. Why would Jonah be included in the collection if he were not a real individual? And the events were not historically accurate. Third, the miracles that happen in Jonah, if you really think about it, they are not beyond the power of God. If you look back at how God rescued his people out of Egypt, suddenly those miracles are so, seem almost so much greater than a man being swallowed by a fish and staying alive. And so when you think about the power of God and the miracles that you have throughout the Old Testament, a man being swallowed by God and staying alive does not seem all that far-fetched. And so it's very possible once we consider the power that God has that this would have been something that would have been fairly easy for God to do. And then fourth, Jesus references Jonah in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke as being in the belly of the whale and preaching to Nineveh as if they were real events. So personally, my personal conclusion is that Jonah is or does fit the historical genre. So although there's debate around this and, and much more could be said, let's consider now for a moment that this is an historical event, that this did happen, and so let's dig in now and see what can we learn from this story, from chapter 1. So I want to just say to us before we continue that this is going to be a difficult sermon. This is going to be a difficult series. And we're going to be tempted at times to remove ourselves from the story, to, to say, well, this is only about someone else, and I want to challenge us not to do so. We're going to ask a lot of questions. And my prayer is that you will be willing to place yourself within the story, to not only see this, as a third person, but to hear and to see what God wants to speak to us. You heard chapter 1 read in the bumper, and so we're not going to take time to read it again. But let's look at some key parts of chapter 1 and see what they mean to us. So here we go. We're going to start now. You're going to place yourself now as the character Jonah. I want you to put yourself into the story. You are now Jonah. Okay, and knowing a little more about how evil the city of, of the Assyrians were and all that would have happened to them and what would have maybe happened to Jonah had he gone to the city and knowing that they were lifelong enemies 
of Israel, God, Jonah's people, and knowing that God would have mercy on them, let me ask us, what would you have done if you were Jonah? If you're the character now, if you're Jonah, what would you do with all that you know about the Assyrians, the citizens of Nineveh? Would you have gone to preach salvation to your lifelong enemies? I wonder if our response would be all that different. We may have done the exact same thing that Jonah did. It says that Jonah ran away from the Lord in verse 3. He didn't just run away from the Lord. He paid a fare. He went to great lengths to get away from God. Anything to disobey and to not follow the commands of God. So here's the questions. Have you ever run from God? Have you ever refused to do something God asked you to do? Are there certain people in your life that you would struggle to share the gospel with, the love of God with? Even though I can't see you, here's what I know about you. None, none of us want to admit to this. None of us want to say, oh yeah, me. If we were in the room all together, this would be the moment where the room gets really quiet. You've been in those moments where everybody kind of like, don't pick on me, don't look at me. You know, no one would be raising their hands and, oh yeah, there are, here, let me name you the, the people I would never go to. But put yourself into the story as Jonah. You are faced with this command from God that goes against what you want to do. And it doesn't just have to be something extreme like going to a certain group of people. Maybe, maybe in your life, maybe you've been asked to forgive someone. Or you need to receive forgiveness. Maybe you need to admit to spreading a lie or gossip, or slander. Maybe you've canceled someone because they have a different view than you. And deep down, you're not at peace with it, but man, Jonah was a prophet, which means that what God asked him to do was what fit his job description. And as followers of Jesus, our job description, in a sense, is to show the love of Jesus and to present the message, the gospel of Jesus, wherever we go. The most shocking part of chapter 1 is not that Jonah ran from the Lord. The most shocking part is how comfortable Jonah was with doing so. As the ship sailed towards Tarshish, God sent a storm. Experienced sailors on deck were panicking, throwing cargo overboard, doing everything they could to survive. Jonah? Remember you're in the story as Jonah? Jonah, you would think he would be the one panicking the most, but nope. He was at such peace 
that he was below deck sleeping. It says, where he went below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Verse 5. So more questions. Have we become comfortable with disobeying God? Look at the words of the captain. Verse 6. How can you sleep? How can you sleep? I don't know about you, but when I read this story, I wrestle with how did Jonah think that he was going to get away with this? And yet, if I'm completely honest, I know that there have been times in my life where I have minimized my sin to the point where I become comfortable with it. And this captain comes and he shakes us. And he says, how can you sleep? Look at the next words. Get up. Call on your God. You see, the story of Jonah is really about repentance for everyone in the story. Not only just for the, the citizens of Nineveh, but it is about repentance even for Jonah, for you and I. A call to get up, to take responsibility for the decisions that we've made, to confess our sins to God. And so if you are Jonah, what are you running from? What sin needs to be repented? Jonah gets up and he joins the other sailors on deck. And it's clear to the sailors by now that this is a supernatural event. And they conclude that one of them is responsible. And so they cast lots. And picture yourself, you, you see a person cast lots, and I'm sure every one of them was like, am I the guilty one? Am I the one at fault? And alas, the lot falls on Jonah. And this is when we're told another interesting bit of detail. From the text, we don't know exactly when this happened, but it sounds like it may have happened earlier on in the voyage. We find out that Jonah has not hidden the fact that he's running from God from these sailors. This leaves us to wrestle with, was he proud of it? Was he arrogantly, you know, talking about how he was running from his God? But nonetheless, we see that these sailors are aware of this information. So I want us to now shift characters again. I want you to now no longer be Jonah in the story. I want you to become one of the sailors. You are on this boat, working as hard as you can, and you're pretty convinced that you will not make it through this. And you have this individual in your midst who you knew all along was doing something wrong. So here's some more questions. Have you ever heard, have you ever heard someone brag about how they're disobeying God? Maybe they weren't really bragging, but there wasn't remorse in their tone. These situations can be difficult. What do you do? When someone so freely talks about the things that you know displease God. What do you do about that? 
So imagine yourself as one of the sailors and, and you hear this person on the ship and they've admitted to the fact that they are running from God clearly. When these sailors first heard this, they would have never guessed that this would be something that would follow. That this storm would come. So they may have thought to themselves, what's the harm? But now, in this moment, Jonah's sin has caught up with him. And it's not only impacting him, it's impacting everyone around them. And you see, the truth is, that's how sin works. It does not only affect the individual. It is devastating to all those who are close. And one of the hardest things to do is to lovingly point out sin in someone with the goal of repentance and healing. So let's go back to being Jonah. I think this is the last time I'll have you jump, okay? So now you're Jonah again. And look at what these sailors ask him. They ask you, what have you done? Verse 10. Jonah, what have you done? See, when is the last time you shared with others what you have done? Or where your heart is at? When is the last time you've allowed people in to see who you truly are? Or what you're truly doing? Then these sailors ask, the practical question. What should we do? Verse 11. They've asked him, what have you done? And, and now they know what he's done. And they're like, so what should we do? These next few verses are interesting and difficult to understand. Jonah informs the sailors that they must throw him into the sea. Clearly, he felt that he should not throw himself into the sea. He had to be thrown into the sea by them. And so this, this creates all kinds of discussion and meeting, and we won't go there today. But the sailors refuse to do it. Jonah refuses to throw himself in, and the sailors refuse to throw Jonah in. And I want you to see the implications or the meaning of what this is. These sailors refuse to throw Jonah in and instead they row as hard as they can to get back. They do everything they can to save themselves. Instead of dealing with the person who sinned, they are working with the effects of sin. So let's be clear. When a sin has been committed, we need to first lead the person to repentance and then deal with the symptoms. These sailors, they do all they can to try to change the situation that the sin has caused. And this is often what we do when sin has been committed. It says this, the men did their best to row back to land, verse 13. They were determined to save themselves. Sometimes when we disobey God, we repent only of what we did or didn't do. 
We confess the sin of disobedience to him, but we never confess the sin that brought us to the place of disobedience. Why we would choose to disobey. So we have to ask ourselves, what is the root of the sin? Why was the sin committed? What brought us to this place where we would choose to disobey our Heavenly Father, our God, in our hearts, our souls? Are they calloused? Is our relationship with God strained? Do we love Him? These are the kind of questions we need to wrestle with to understand why was the sin committed? Because we don't want to deal only with the sin. We want to get to the root of it and find full healing and restoration. I think these questions are important. And we may struggle at times to understand how Jonah would dare to disobey God as he did. Clearly, somewhere in his life, he drifted away from his surrender to God. And so, folks, we must examine our hearts to know whether or not we are on the same path and whether it's happening to us. Are we drifting away in our relationship with God? So to wrap up chapter 1, Jonah is thrown overboard. And when all seems lost, God sent a whale to rescue him. So I know that today we've asked a lot of questions, but I trust that these questions would guide our hearts and allow ourselves to come to a place where we would examine ourselves and to see what our relationship with God is like. And then that we would make whatever changes need to be made. Next week, we look at chapter 2. So let me close in a word of prayer, and then we uh, will be dismissed. Father God, we thank you so much for your word and for the story. And although it's a complicated story and a difficult one, I thank you, God, that you are still compassionate and merciful. And that you are still going out to those who are lost. Today, God, we looked mostly at ourselves. We looked mostly at ourselves through the lens of Jonah and through the sailors. So I pray that if we identify in any way with, with those individuals, that we would repent and that we would come back to you. I pray, Lord, that you would do this work in us through the Holy Spirit. Thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.